0: This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, an organization devoted to producing and distributing Reformed theological content for a connected age. Online at reformedforum.org This is East of Eden, a program devoted to the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards.
1: Welcome to East of Eden, the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards. We're glad that you have tuned in to our weekly podcast. I'm Nick Batzig, your host for the show, and we have our regular faithful panelist with us today. We have uh, Dave Filson, who is the teaching pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Dave, it's great to have you on the show
2: again. So good to be here.
1: And all of our listeners will be well acquainted with Jeffrey C. Waddington, who's the teacher of the congregation at Calvary OPC in Ringo's, New Jersey. But Jeff also has a new position. He is the Stated Supply. Where's that at, Jeff?
0: At Knox Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania.
1: Lansdowne, PA, just outside Philadelphia. And you get up there to visit Jeff and to worship at that Church with them and hear him preach. I know that that'll be a great blessing, and it's great to have you on the show uh, today. Oh, Jeff. good,
0: good, to, good to be here.
1: So, as we progress in looking at the different sermons of Jonathan Edwards, and as we have uh, already looked at six or seven of them already, and this is the eighth uh, episode, I think this is the seventh sermon that we're going to consider together. We have chosen Edwards' sermon, "The Character of Paul." an example to Christians, the character of Paul, an example to Christians. Dave, why don't you start us off giving a very basic historical background for where the sermon fits into Edwards' life and ministry.
2: Sure. There's not really a lot known about uh, the occasion of this sermon, uh, at least the specific sermon, but the historical context uh, is, is as follows. 1740, uh, February of 1740 is when this sermon was preached. And what's going on about that time? Um, the, the first great awakening really is in full swing by this, by this point, you know, you go back to 1734, he's preached his series on justification by faith alone. Uh, the, the revival breaks out in the Connecticut Valley area there in Northampton, uh, really lays the groundwork or lights the fuse for, for the later awakening. Uh, a couple of years later, uh, 1737, he, uh, publishes A Faithful Narrative of the Surprising Work of God. A year later, uh, he does a sermon series, Charity and Its Fruits. And then a year after that, 1739, uh, he preaches the series that would uh, later be published as the History of the Work of Redemption, which, as you know, was going to be uh, sort of massaged into a treatise. It was one of his intentions later in life. But he, he's been preaching and writing on these uh, revival themes. By uh, 1740, the, the First Great Awakening's in full process. Whitfield uh, visits Edwards uh, that year at Northampton. And so this sermon on the character of Paul uh, is in the context, really, right in the middle of, of revival happenings. I
1: failed to mention that it's based on Philippians 3.17, where the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, brethren, be followers of me and mark those that walk so as you have us for an example. And obviously what goes before is Paul saying, I count all things loss." For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain him and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God uh, through faith. And then after this verse, Paul will say, for many walk, of whom I've told you before and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who glory in their shame. So that whole section is surrounding this verse, brethren, be followers of me and mark them that walk as you have us for an example. And um, it's interesting, I, I when I came to read this, I was a little bit hesitant. I thought, oh, no, here we go. Is this going to be a very overly hyper introspective Edwards sermon like everyone seems to think all of his sermons are? But uh, it doesn't take you long in reading this that you realize uh, that Edwards is still thinking in the context of redemption, that this whole sermon exegetically is set in the context of Paul pursuing Christ and the righteousness of Christ and the resurrection, um, attaining to that resurrection. And so the context is salvation. And so after he gives uh, the doctrine a bit, after he unpacks that doctrine briefly, um, when he goes in in the first point, he says, we ought to follow the good example of the apostle Paul in that we should follow him in his earnestness in seeking his own salvation. And I, I was pleasantly surprised with just the logical progression as he goes through each of the ways that he says we ought to follow Paul's example. We should follow his earnestly seeking salvation. We, we should, um, like Paul, strive for heaven. Like Paul, we ought not seek after our own righteousness. Like Paul, we ought to seek for higher degrees of glory. We ought to pursue fervent love to Christ. We ought not be ashamed of the gospel, and on and on, um, all the different ways. So I thought that was particularly interesting because you could see how easily someone could take Paul as an example and then use that in a very legal way, like, you need to pray more, you need to do more of this and more of that. But Edwards really... Throws behind the stage, as it were, behind Paul, the canvas of the redemption we have in
2: Christ. It is, and I, and I think one of the interesting things that he he points out is that for for us as as creatures, you know, for us as um, as finite, as fallible, uh, while Jesus Christ is set forward as an example in Scripture, there is, in one sense, a unique encouragement of Paul being set forth as an example because. Um, unlike Christ, Paul was fallible, and so we're, we're, we're following in the example of a man who, um, you know, who, who struggled and, and sinned and fell, etc. Right.
1: And he draws that, Edwards does draw that out, that Christ's example, he actually says under the doctrine, is the example that is chiefly offered in Scripture for our imitation But, he says, the example of some that are fallen creatures as we are may in some respects be more accommodated to our circumstances and more fitted for our instructions than the example of Jesus Christ. I thought that was a particularly astute observation that, you know, you know how James actually says um, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently. That there's almost something um, more powerful about that example that he had a sinful nature, but he prayed fervently, and so Paul too was a man beset with weaknesses. Yet, one who was victorious in um, his Christian life and outlook. Um, when he comes to this first point, he notes, and this is, I think, a particular favorite of of Edwards and Jeff. Maybe you could talk about this because it seemed very much like what he, a digestion of what he talks about. Um, in I know there's a little book published. Um, I don't know if it was Northampton Press or um, one of the other Puritan publishers that republished Edwards' uh, teaching on Strive to Enter Through the Narrow Gate.
0: Is is that solely Deo Gloria, maybe? It might Um, be. Clearly, Edwards uh, stresses the notion that uh, Paul is seeking salvation not merely before his conversion, his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, but also afterward. So the, there's there there's an earnestness about his Christian walk uh, that doesn't diminish once he's found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own, mm. right? So there's there's no sense in Edwards that that a person who is justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, therefore has nothing to do, mm. right? Uh, right. So that's something that Edwards will not will not uh, countenance. Uh, and he he looks here to Paul uh, as an example of that. That uh, Paul, uh, once he is confronted uh, by the Lord on the road to Damascus, enters into, I guess, the way to describe it would be a vigorous discipleship.
2: Mm. Yeah, um, no, he follows the uh, the old Puritan uh, interpretation of Matthew eleven two, which speaks of the kingdom of heaven suffering violence and. The Violent take it by force, you know the old Thomas Watson book that Soleddia Gloria did uh, publish many many years ago back in the early '90s on heaven taken by storm, but he speaks uh, Jeff of Paul um, pursuing with violence and resolution you know, after heaven not not in an effort to I mean this is in his language but this is what he's saying I mean, not not in an effort to earn his salvation but to evidence that he's been saved not in an effort to merit. His salvation, but to manifest that he has been saved and and he he goes on to say that that though God will keep men that are converted from damnation, yet this is the means by which he will keep them from it, He will keep them from a wicked life, and so it it, it really touches upon indicative and imperative I mean that that's not lost on Edwards here.
1: Yeah, the sermon I was actually thinking of by Edwards was pressing into the kingdom of God that was published that is really just an expansion of what he has under this first point. And um, I really appreciate the way he talks about the resolution of Paul um, and how he really gave up everything for Christ. Really, he says, instead of being honored and loved and living in credit as among his own nation, he made himself the object of their universal hatred. He lost all. And the Jews hated him and persecuted him everywhere. And when great sufferings were in the way, he willingly made him self-conformable to Christ's death that he may have a part in his resurrection. He parted with his honor, his ease, his former friends and former acquaintance, his worldly goods and everything else and plunged himself into a state of extreme labor, contempt and suffering. You know, I read that and I think, isn't that what following Christ is, that you are willing to give up everything for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, and that's not—that's not legalistic. That's, like you said, Dave. That's—that's that's the evidence that we are pursuing the Lord Jesus. Um, Edwards goes on to say, in this way,
2: he sought the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, I read that section, Nick, and, and I couldn't help but thinking of the line out of the Heidelberg. Uh, catechism number one, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. You know, the idea of loss and of tribulation and of suffering, et cetera,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's subservient. It serves my salvation, and that's that's what came to mind when I read that passage there in Edwards.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. Well, one of the things that I really pressed when I taught this in our Sunday school class um, a few weeks ago was that um, Paul didn't just do that at the beginning of his Christian life, and that's Edwards next you know, logical step. There's a really beautiful logical progression in this sermon, but he says the apostle did not only thus seek salvation before his conversion and hope, but afterwards also. Um, and I think, you know, you guys are ministers of the gospel and I am, and that's, that's something that weighs heavily on the hearts of ministers that our people would continually be pursuing the salvation. You know, Paul says in this section, um, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me, that there's always an ever-progressing and ever-seeking, even though he's already been redeemed and has already been regenerate and justified and adopted and has salvation in that sense. He's not yet attained, he says, because he's not yet glorified. And I, I told our people, I remember a Sinclair Ferguson sermon, I think it was on Philippians 3, actually, where he said, every time I heard about the gospel for you know the first couple of years after I was converted I felt like I needed to be converted all over again and I thought that was a particularly profound um, way of putting what Edwards is saying here about that continual seeking
0: thoughts yeah you do, it I, I don't Paul is not suggest as I said this earlier Paul is not suggesting uh that we do, can't rest in our redemption, right? The, you know, know that we're saved, but but the the evidence of being saved is that you desire more. That's right, right. A charity in its fruits. That series of of, of uh, sermons that Edwards preached is really all about this. So it's kind of a, a here he's he's uh, looking at Paul's example. Uh, you remember how Paul said that the Old Testament was written for our benefit upon whom the ends of the ages have come, right? right, and, and, and Edwards is simply saying, okay, the example of Paul is for our benefit because Paul told us to follow him, right. right? Now, that's something that's maybe scary. I mean, I don't know how many of us, the three of us here, if we would be comfortable in the pulpit saying, follow me mm. uh, as I follow after Christ. But maybe we ought to be.
1: Well, and you know, Edwards clears away the slate there at the very beginning of the doctrinal section when he says that the apostle didn't say this from an ambitious spirit or a desire of being set up as a pattern and eyed and imitated as an example to other Christians. And you, we all know that there are men out there that are in the more pietistic camp that I think do think that somehow they are the model and they need to be this you know, incredible model. And it's almost like what Edwards is saying about Paul is that Paul is so consumed with Christ and so consumed with pursuing Christ and gaining Christ and his righteousness and the resurrection from the dead and, and is motivated by the love of Christ. And later he'll talk about how he can bear with the churches because he, and all they're complaining and they're rejecting him because he loved Christ that in, in that way, as he was following Christ, he, he, necessarily became the example to them, n- rather than him setting himself up as one.
2: Yes, and, you know, it, Edwards brings out a point here later in the sermon where he gives an example of how Paul is committed to this, where he refuses to make more of his experiences than he should, though he certainly could. I mean, right? Um, you know, in 2 in, in Corinthians, he talks about his visions and revelations, etc. Yet he doesn't want to make so much of his experiences that men come to expect more of him than his actual life upholds. Uh, There's a humility there, so he he wants to make sure that that what he is setting forth is an example of integrity that doesn't become somehow sensationalized uh, by someone misinterpreting or overblowing his experiences and his uh, visions and that sort of thing.
1: Right, right. I think also when Paul had that heavenly vision and he speaks of himself as, you know, I knew a man in Christ, that he's not drawing attention to himself in some kind of, I am the model, look at me, but he is seeing himself in relationship to Christ, his identities in Christ. And so it's a humble, exemplaristic, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, setting apart, and I think we have to remember too. Paul was unique, and Edwards will talk about this. That he is the you know apostle to the Gentiles, and and therefore he gets right. this unique role of being the example. I think about Bunyan. You know when um, Christian goes into the interpreter's house and he sees the man on the wall, and he his eyes are looking up to heaven. He's like, "Who is this? This is your guide," and it's it's Paul. You know he quotes. Yeah all those verses in that uh, section there out of the different epistles about Paul saying, I begot you as a father. And there is something unique, right, about Paul as an example. Would you agree with that? Oh, well, sir? yeah,
0: he's, he's an apostle, right? Um, Edwards wouldn't point to him as an example. Well, he, Of course, we he has to point to him as an example because Paul tells us to follow him. It's right there in the text. But uh, Paul is... A trustworthy example to follow, because his life matches his message. Right, right. It's his life. Not we're not saying he's sinless, but but uh, and that's one of the points that Edward made earlier, right? At in the introduction, that uh, the benefit of a Paul is that he's he's a fallible, sinful human being, unlike our Lord, uh, who was sinless. Uh, and so he's not claiming to be sinless, but his message. His, his life matches his message. Uh, and, and of course, the one thing we're talking about right now is that he's he's striving, uh, seeking after salvation, but also uh, striving for heaven throughout his life. That's right. And ministry. That's right.
1: Now, I think the third sub-point under this first um, section of the ways in which Paul's an example could be a, a stumbling block for a lot of Christians because... Um, Edwards really gets into that sticky subject of how Paul could have been redeemed, called, commissioned, and yet almost have this language of uncertainty as if, if I don't beat my body into subjection, then I'll be damned. Um, and I have to admit, and, and this is just me being vulnerable, that I've, I've wrestled with the language because Paul does clearly say, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, Um, any thoughts, any any possible criticisms or cautions of Edwards at this point? Because this is where I think that extreme introspection— I'm not saying I disagree with the, what Edwards says here, but um, I'll read just one little section, and then I'd like y'all's thoughts on this, because this really will be, I think, an issue for some people. Um, Paul says, Here you see the apostles very careful, lest he should be a castaway. He denies his carnal appetites and mortifies his flesh for that reason. He did not say, I'm safe. I'm sure I'll never be lost. Why need I take any further care respecting it? Many think that they suppose themselves converted and so safe and that they have nothing to do with the awful threatenings of God's word and those terrible denunciations of damnation that are contained in it. When they hear them, they hear them as things which belong to others and not to themselves, as though there were no application of what is revealed in the scripture respecting hell to the godly. Now, this is where... I guess I I have questions about I mean this is the same Paul that elsewhere says we think better things concerning you things concerning salvation and I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day and he who began a good work in you will complete it and Jesus saying no one can snatch them out of my hand is is this just a biblical tension or do you think maybe Edwards errs here
0: so good. David what do you think David well, I think,
2: <laughs> um I think in the broader corpus of Edwards' writings no he doesn't he doesn't err. And when people, you know, complain of Edwards being too introspective. I mean, what is he was he introspective? Yes, should I be a little more introspective? Absolutely. Uh, I think in the broader corpus of Edwards, uh, he he is not erring. Here perhaps I think maybe we could have we could have done with a little more, you know, indicative to buttress, you know, the the imperative, although I do think we have it. There on eight fifty seven, where he says, and I brought this up a second ago, and though God will keep men that are converted from damnation, yet this is the means by which He will keep them from it. He will keep them from a wicked life. Uh, so, so it. I, guess, you know, I can't help but think of you know Philippians two, since we're in Philippians. Philippians two, you know twelve and thirteen, where Paul says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so it, there, there is that that Pauline, that biblical emphasis on pursuing, on persevering, sure. or sure. as we have here in you know Matthew 11, doing violence, uh, the idea of, of resolve, etc. But then the very next verse, 13, for it is God at work in you both to will and to do right. according to his good pleasure. And so perhaps in this passage in Edwards, you know we, we could have wished that he would have explicated a little bit of for it is God at work in you both to will and to do. Uh, for his for his good pleasure. Yeah,
1: I mean, I can't take any issue with the scripture proofs that he uses. Obviously, we are to fear sin, we are to flee from sin, we are to buy the gospel, reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, and mortify sin in the spirit. And you know, if we walk in the flesh, we're going to perish. But then I think about the nuances, even in Puritan theology, of you know, even a weak faith saves. You know, the smallest faith saves. I mean, Lot was a righteous man. I I would challenge Edwards to show me (laughs) the godliness of Lot's life. You know, Um, Samson's in the great faith chapter. Um, There's not too much particularly godly. And I know Samson was had faith and was regenerate because the Holy spirit tells us, but I I think this is where I would want to just say if, if this, if that alone, and I liked what you said, Dave, that in the whole corpus of Edwards, He's going to balance it. But if you take that paragraph by itself atomistically, I think it could do could do damage to the doctrine of assurance um, or even to um, the nature of saving faith, even though it be a weak faith and the weakness of the saints, you know? Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, and I think, too, here, you know, if you just took this passage, this, this page out of this sermon, yeah, you, you probably could have that misconception of Edwards. And, and in one sense, and I say this with, with great Fear and trembling, no, no pun intended. I don't know that he does us any favors here when he says, you know, the apostle directs Christians to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians two twelve, without fear, giving you the rest and stops. You right, know, he doesn't. Right. I think right there would have been a, a great place for him to have inserted verse thirteen. Yes, um, you know, again, he, he talks about Paul having great confidence and all of his hope and that sort of thing, and and yet at a certain level, this is you know the the, the tensions that we see. In Scripture, but perhaps there could have been in this in this passage, he could have given us a little bit more, so that we wouldn't, you know, run, you know, too far afield with um, with worry or, or
0: concern. Yeah, well, isn't isn't there? Uh, the, you had already, as you've already noted, Dave. There's the means and ends argument. Uh, the the means to the to the ends. That is the perseverance of the saints. Is the exhortations uh in other words the 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 way that god keeps us on the straight and narrow even as the elect is is for us to be warned about going off the straight and narrow right they should keep us close to christ right yeah are we want we don't want to be saying that you never can issue warnings to to saints Uh, That would be disastrous, I think.
2: Otherwise, we wouldn't have, right, you know, the first couple of chapters of Hebrews and the the nautical language of of drifting away.
0: Now, where I think, you know, Edwards in this passage, uh, I have questions about Edwards' notion of assurance. Right. Uh, Some of this coming, now this is early, this is 1740, right? Right, right. Later, he, he, he develops a notion of assurance, which I'm not sure is is as is, is good as it was earlier. And, and maybe that's getting too far afield, but that does relate to this. He's looking at Paul's understanding of discipline in the Christian life. And and Paul does say he doesn't want to be, after having proclaimed the gospel, he himself doesn't want to be thrown aside. Right? Right, right. Uh, that right. that now, of course, that's a hypothetical, contrary to fact. Right, but it is the way that Paul himself talks. Again, mm-hmm. it's not not in the sense that he could have been uh, saved at one point and lost his salvation, but the as the Puritans were fond of telling us, there are such things as hypocrites Th- oh, those yeah. who right. pretend to be saved, even think they're saved, and they're not.
1: Yeah, there's always a Judas among the ministers of the gospel, and I think my concern here, and I don't want us to—I didn't want to belabor it, but I thought for our listeners' sake, this is probably a good discussion to have, is when Edward says, Paul did not say, I'm safe, I'm sure I shall never be lost— I I would have some concern with that. I understand he's he's going to go on and say then, why do I need to care about respecting whether I'm saved or not? And I understand what he's saying. He's balancing that out. But my concern with that is that that destroys the possibility of knowing I'm safe. I'm not lost. Jesus said... He who comes to me, I will never, I will no wise cast out. Having been justified, we have peace with God. So, I mean, the Reformed doctrine of assurance is not built first and foremost on our sanctification, though that is a part of it. Um, it can never be the primary grounds of
2: our subjective assurance. I think, obviously, he's simply wanting to guard against presumption here yes. um, yeah. in, in, in the Christian life. But at the same time, perhaps this passage, taken by itself— could erode our confidence. So
0: yeah, I mean well, it's, thankfully it's followed in the in the fourth point that the apostle did not seek salvation by his own righteousness, right? That's right. Right. And so it may be that if a person was hearing this sermon and he said, "Oh, okay, my assurance is based upon my performance." Then there is the antidote of point 4 under the doctrinal section of the sermon that, that Paul is not seeking after his own righteousness. We already know that, right? Uh, right. This is, this is the very portion of of Philippians where Paul says, not having my own, not being found in him. That is in Jesus Christ, not having my own righteousness. That's right. That comes from the law, but by faith in Christ. That's right. And thankfully, right? Brothers, especially after this conversation, thankfully, uh, uh, Edwards uh, points to to the fact that, that Paul does not ground his salvation in his own performance.
1: Yeah, he even says in his own sufferings, though his sufferings were so very great, his labor so exceedingly abundant, yet he never accounted them as righteousness. He trotted under feet, under feet and utterly insufficient to recommend him to God. Right. Um, so that is, yeah, that is a beautiful thing that Edwards does balance himself. I, I just wanted to raise... At least the discussion, because I know that that's something that's on a lot of people's minds, that Edwards would probably be more searching than a lot of Reformed Christians today are used to with regard to the pressing on and the way the, the warnings take place. He gives one final one there under the first section. He says, in those earnest labors which he performed, he had respect to the recompense of the reward. He did it for an incorruptible crown. He sought a high degree of glory, for he knew that the more he labored, the more he should be rewarded. As he tells his, the Corinthians, he who sowed sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall reap bount- bountifully. Now, it seems here that he's talking about extra rewards. Thoughts on that? Is that how you all understand that?
0: Now you mean rewards beyond the the a, the getting of he- eternal life?
1: Yeah, when he says he sought a high degree of glory, this is this would bring us into the Augustinian, um, Augustine, Edwards, big cup, little cup, lots of glory, one star differing in glory from another, right?
0: Yeah, Ed- Edwards clearly believed in in a gradation of uh, rewards. Right. Yes. Right. Um, yes, all,
2: all the sermons on he- on heaven, you know, when we look next at, at the pure in heart, you'll see God, you look at heaven as a world of love. Um, he certainly believed in degrees of, of reward, and, and not just degrees of reward, but when you get to heaven, as you know, a continuing growth in blessedness and a continued capacity for enjoyment and, and deeper blessing and deeper enjoyment of, of that blessing. So in one sense, what he's talking about here is the precursor for what he's talking about there. In other words, what he's talking about here in this life of, of, of striving and of growing and of, of, uh, of going deeper, uh, that, that's going to that's continue in heaven, at least insofar as going deeper in blessedness and deeper in happiness.
0: Right. Isn't, isn't there a, a, a real sense of, this is not about earning God's favor. This is a des- this is a desire to have more of God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the desire to be closer in in one's walk in fellowship with the Lord. Uh, it's a matter of not being satisfied with less. Right. You know. You, you remember? I think it was C. S. Lewis who, uh, in another context, talked about the child in England uh, not. Realizing that, that he could enjoy the benefits of, of going to Brighton and, and, and swimming in the ocean, but settles for playing in puddle, mud puddles in the street. Right. Yeah, he, yeah,
2: he's, we, we are half-hearted creatures, which is an interesting way for him to begin that, Jeff, when he says we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with food and drink and sex, like a like an ignorant child uh, making mud pies in the ghetto, not realizing that a holiday at the sea has been offered to us. And I think it's interesting, though he's not probably thinking of any Edwardsian connection, when he says we are half-hearted creatures. For Edwards, as you all know, when, when he talks about growth and sanctification and wanting more of God, you know, that, that what God desires to give us is himself. Edwards speaks of an enlargedness of heart. And this kind of ties into his, his whole idea of seeking our own happiness and, and that sort of thing. Dis, you know, disinterested love for God. But he speaks of an, of an enlarged heart or, or our hearts being enlarged rather than confined so that in regeneration and in the new sense of the heart, our hearts are enlarged. We desire more. We have an increased appetite. We want more. Uh, I mean, that's you know he speaks in religious affections three two of of the Lord being the cream of all our pleasures, and so this ties in with what with what you're saying there, Jeff. It's just this this increased appetite, this an in, increased heart capacity for more of the Lord. Right.
0: It's it's uh it's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Right. I mean that's it's and this is something that ought to increase in the Christian's life, not diminish. Right. It's not you know wow i'm uh, i 'm safe so I can settle down and not worry I mean that would be i think Edwards going back to a previous section Edwards would say that 's a sign of your not being right with the lord yeah he would be
1: he would be um frowning on complacency in the Christian life, which would be a mark of at least spiritual um, immaturity un- right? yeah un lack of health lack of spiritual right. health or immaturity um When Edwards moves out of these five um, preeminent ways, I guess we could say, in which Paul is an example, he now moves to look at some of Paul's virtues, not just some of Paul's actions, but the virtues that were in him. And he'll mention that he was strong in faith, that he had a great love to Christ, that he was not ashamed of the gospel in a day when the gospel was despised, that... he, cont- he had contempt of the world and heavenly mindedness. He didn't set his mind on the things of the world and he saw the passing nature of them, that um, he was abundant in prayer and praise, that um, he, was, he, he learned contentment um, under divine providence, and um, that uh, he gave caution in giving an account of his experience um, so that men didn't, didn't see him Um, so much as seeing Christ in him. So of these things, did anything jump out to you guys as particularly interesting in the sermon?
0: He was faithful and fervent love for Christ. This has come to the forefront of my mind. There's a new edition of the charity and its fruits has just come out by Crossway edited by Kyle Strobel. Uh, and, And Strobel notes the, the emphasis in that series on, on love, uh, and he says, well, you know, in reform circles, the emphasis tends to fall on faith, uh, and rightly so. I don't think that we need to pit faith and love against one another. Uh, the Christian ought to uh, love the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Right, love precedes faith. I mean, regeneration is God giving us a heart of love in the place of a heart right. of hatred, love for so him. It's,
0: it's not as if love is uh, opposed to faith. Uh that some of that comes out of the Roman Catholic idea of formed faith, which is faith uh that is uh actua- actualized by love. Uh, and there are problems with that understanding uh, yeah. for sure, right? Because faith has its own integrity. But having said that, the Christian and Paul is an example of this is one who is fervent uh in his uh love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we we could we could maybe be critical in the same way and say hold it, uh, Edwards, aren't you you sound like you're becoming a perfectionist. Uh, if we respond that way to all encouragements to greater love, we're going to have trouble with for instance 1 Corinthians 13. Right. Right, which is of course right. the basis of the charity and its fruits. Sermon series. Uh <laughs> Paul here is an example of one who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and he loved much, to allude to Jesus' words, he loved much because he was, what, forgiven much. Right, right.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of Peter, right? Peter, who was obviously forgiven much, um, is the one who says to us, this is the basis for Thomas Vincent's book, The True Christians Love the Unseen Christ, that uh, though we do not see him, yet, Yet we love him. You know, we, we love the invisible, at least to our right now uh, perspective, um, Christ. We, we love the, the unseen Christ. And I, and I think it's important, as you're saying there, Jeff, not to separate faith and love. I mean, else we, we couldn't sing, My Jesus, I, I love thee, I know thou art mine. I mean, there's a love, My Jesus, I love thee. That's right. And then the faith, I know thou art mine. And in this passage here, uh, right before Edward speaks of Paul's great love to Christ, that's in uh, the that second um, point under the second section there. He says first he was strong in faith. He always speaks of God and Christ and things invisible in future as if he certainly knew them and, and then saw them as fully and certainly as we see anything that is immediately before our bodily eyes. And So he speaks of his strong faith, and then he speaks of his great love. And so the, the, the two are hand in glove.
1: Yes. You guys are probably going to have an emergency presbytery meeting and vote me out of being the host of the show. But I do think that, um, that uh, Edwards does focus on maybe to a fault in this one little section on subjective love to Christ you know the whole subjective objective genitive love of Christ 2nd Corinthians 5 14 the love of Christ constrains us Romans eight thirty five, who shall separate us from the love of Christ is that our love for Christ or Christ's love for us and he seems to take all these as our love for Christ where I would clearly take Romans 8 who shall separate us from the love of Christ as Christ's love for us right, right. now, now, now that's going to elicit I, it we love him because he first loved us So clearly, if he loves me, I'm going to love him in return. But I do think Edwards may err in this one little section of reading some some scriptures in which he tries to proof text. For instance, he says, and how does he triumph in his love to Christ in the midst of his sufferings? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So I would just raise that one caution not to diminish anything that either of you have said because – if if we do not find Christ precious, if we do not love him, then we don't know him. I mean that Yeah, was, I agree. I think your
2: caution is well founded, and I don't right. think his particular exegesis of those two Pauline texts um in in any way well certainly I I, I disagree with his exegesis there, but I don't think that those text in that way is needed to prove that that call to a great love of Christ. Or, you know, I love what he says here where he speaks of you know sometimes we are, we are with so little emotion in our hearts being very commonly frozen up like a clod of earth by worldly affections and i think that's a neat application there that that the thing that takes my heart away from christ and causes my heart to be like a a clod of mm. frozen earth mm. is that i'm loving other things mm. you know right. worldly affections have laid hold of me um but I, I do i do certainly agree with you i think that that his exegesis there is not um, well-founded.
1: And, and I don't mean that in any way to diminish all the right, everything that he says there that's right, that he was motivated by both Christ's love for him and his love for the Savior. Um, I think somewhere in this sermon, he actually, and maybe it's down in the third section about his virtues toward men, um, where he talks about loving his enemies, that it was not just love to Christ, Um, that drove him to strive after Christ, but it was love to Christ that enabled him to love his enemies and to love um, uh, the church that rejected him. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 4.12, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. And, you know, even how Paul treated Agrippa and those judges that were wrongfully judging him and how he was wanting good for them. And that's very powerful. That's a very powerful meditation when you think about our own struggles that we're faced with as ministers. And he will talk about how Paul's especially an example to minister all the way down at the end, but but what we're faced with and what enables us to press on when when people in the church and outside the church are um, you know, treating us with contempt or shame or disrespect. Um, we ought to be responding out of love to Christ and love for them um,
0: for their good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now no, I, uh, I was thinking in uh, one of the areas where, you know, I've struggled in, in the Christian life is, 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 uh, you know, looking at the Lord and then looking at Paul in the face of persecution, not responding in anger but responding uh, in love—that that is a challenge, uh, and it forces me back, of course, upon the person of Christ and what He has done for me. That's right. Uh, uh, well, I, one of the things that that did did catch my attention was uh, His discussion of heavenly mindedness. Hmm. Any thoughts on that, uh, brothers? You know, his his denouncing of worldliness. Is is uh, the flip side, of course, of his uh, uh, heavenly mindedness. You know the expression: that person is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I don't think Edwards would buy into that, uh, and I don't no. think Paul would have. Any, any thoughts?
2: Hey, well, this- no, I, I think Edwards would have said that the reason we're often not enough earthly good is we're not enough heavenly minded, and I think right. right. I, I think Calvin, for instance, one of the most. Um, Relevant passages or sections of the Institutes is meditation on the future life, and you know the Puritans, the Puritans were were those readily meditating on the future life, readily meditating on heaven, and they and they they emphasized heavenly mindedness for the sake of being you know earthly beneficial, right. earthly good. I I, I love that. I, I mean, and I think that's one of the that's one of the wonderful features of of Edwards, uh, the the way that heaven figures into his theological and homiletical program.
1: That's right. That's right. You know, Paul clearly in this letter too, in Philippians chapter one. Says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And, you know, for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. One of my best friends, Stephen Birch, said to me as a young Christian, What Paul was saying there is, for me to live as Christ, to die is more Christ. And Mm -hmm. so Paul was driven on by the desire to be with his savior and that heavenly mindedness. It also makes me think I just reread Gerhardus Voss's sermon, heavenly mindedness and grace and glory. And I'm sure you Mm -hmm. guys have probably read that. It is phenomenal. It's a little bit heavy going, but you know, he takes that whole Hebrews chapter 11 and talks about what enabled the patriarchs to move forward was they, they were looking for that city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And, Voss has this great quote where he says, only the predestined inhabitants of the eternal city can live in a tent as kings and priests to God. Um, Mm. Basically. That's gold. It is gold. It (laughs) really is. Um, That's gold. And that sermon really is gold to really compliment what you guys have said about this. Um, And I, you know what brothers, I feel my weakness in that. Honestly, I really have been confronted with that lately that I, I am so weighed down often by the, the responsibilities of life or my desires or my pursuits. And, and then when things go wrong, um, we get frustrated because we're setting our minds on our earthly ambitions. And so we really need the Lord to lift our minds to the glories that await us and make us to long for that. Well, any other thoughts on this sermon as we progress down in it yet again,
2: even though we, you know, would nuance and take issue with uh, his exegesis in a couple of places. Um, again, struck, as I always am, by how biblical he is and how uh, thoroughly knowledgeable he was of Scripture and his facility with texts of Scripture. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I I marvel. One of the things, this is going to sound uh, tried, I suppose, but when I read um, Edwards and Owen and Calvin and a host of others, I really marvel at their facility with Scripture you know, they they didn't That's have right. Accordance on their laptops. They didn't have Logos software. They didn't have these sorts of things um, readily, you know, a mouse click away. And and I just marvel at his, you know, lacing of his sermon with scripture. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, they were they these were men that knew the Bible inside and out. And they did. What an example to us. And Dave, I really feel that when I read these sermons. I, I think what, I mean, that may be one of the most powerful examples. And, and one of the most worthwhile reasons to read Edwards um, and the Puritans is just that they challenge us to be men that really know the Bible, that we can reach over here and reach over here and reach over there when we want to pull and, you know, um, apply Scripture to our lives or to others or to defend what we're teaching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I noticed it, it in, in the section where he Where Edwards is talking about the virtues of Paul with regard to men, Uh, he talks about him being as uh, one who was delighted in the churches. Isn't isn't that what we want? We would want to have said of ourselves um, that that he Paul delighted in the uh, disciples of Christ with Mm. whom he ministered, Mm. to whom he ministered. Many of those being. disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he brought into, he was the midwife, the spiritual midwife, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, through his, uh, missions and his journeys, to, uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles, but, but there was a love, uh, and a delight in the churches. Uh, and that doesn't, of course, obviously doesn't preclude offering correction where that's needed, but uh, I think it's a wonderful thing, uh, especially in, and in something we need to hear because in our day and age, the church appears uh, to many to be a dispensable thing. And, and maybe in some instances it gets in the way of mm. the Christian life. Mm. Uh, and uh, Paul didn't see it that way. And clearly Edwards didn't see it that way. And I think we should not see it that way. We too should delight. One of the things I love about, uh, the Sabbath worship and, and midweek prayer meeting is getting together with God's people and and worshiping the Lord uh, and fellowshipping with the brothers and sisters, uh, gaining uh, encouragement uh, from that. And, and I think Paul models that in his own ministry. And, of course, Edwards is pointing to that in, in this sermon. Yeah, one of the
2: places that I love where Paul – where this comes out dramatically in Paul – is that you know familiar passage in 2 Corinthians eleven, where he goes through that really impressive list of the things that he suffered? Right, you know, nakedness and shame and beatings and floating a night and day in the open sea and all of that sort of thing, and then he caps that off and he says, "But what's more than this is the merimna, Greek word merimna, uh, the the pressure, the burning concern." For all the churches. The, the anxiety for the churches. Yeah. Mm. Even more so than the beatings and the, the nakedness and the hunger and the imprisonments is the merimna mm. he feels for the churches.
1: It's a shame that we don't have more time. This was four sermons, I believe, put together in one. Is that correct? I think it was uh, three. I believe it was
2: three sermons in one.
1: Three or four sermons in one. And um, we don't have time to go even through the applicatory section because it is very lengthy. Um, but I wanted to just point out as we close that Edwards goes on to make other observations and applications about how Paul is an example to Christians and to ministers. And then finally he ends it with this thought. And I love this and I'm, I apologize for the the hasty ending. It's just, we're out of time. He says at the very end of the sermon, the same God, the same savior the same head of divine influence are ready to help our sincere endeavors that helped him. Let us therefore not excuse ourselves, but in good earnest endeavor to follow. So excellent example. And then however weak we are in ourselves, may we hope to experience Christ's support and be able to say from our own experience as the apostle did before him, when I am weak, then I am strong. What a way to end this. Even with my question about, Maybe some some ways Edwards says different things and um puts different things, but what a way to end this that mm-hmm. that we are weak and Christ is strong and I love the way he says the same God, the same savior are ready to help our sincere endeavors that helped him. hmm yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Amen. That what lay behind Paul was the Savior. Um, and Paul's confidence in
2: Christ. Well, well as in Colossians one twenty nine, you know, I, all this I do with His energy working mightily within me. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah,
0: if if we went away from this sermon and said, uh, uh, dare to be a little Paul, and you do it in your own strength, that that's a guaranteed uh, recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's right. But, but remember what Paul said: "Follow me as I follow Christ." Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's what our call is, to follow Paul as he follows after Christ.
1: I I suppose I'd be remiss to not point out this one application toward the end where he actually says that Paul is an example to us and for us in the way for us to die as he did. And quoting, obviously, 2 Timothy 4, that last pastoral epistle, for I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And that Paul is an example from the beginning of the Christian life, from conversion till the end, that he ran the race. He didn't crawl across the finish line. He finished. (laughs) He fought the fight. Um, What a beautiful, beautiful gift from God that he gave us the Apostle Paul. You know, if you stood in the room
2: where Edwards died, either of you, uh, there at, at Princeton University. I mean, it's it's a it's the house he lived in, and he was the president of the College of New Jersey. And the house is now used for for administrative purposes. There are just various administrative offices in there. But uh, I was up there one time with a group for a, uh, a a seminar on Edwards at Princeton Seminary, and went into that room, you know, where he took his last breath. And and you know you you know the story of Edwards dying uh, this this way, dying that good death. You know the old um, you know, Lutheran, by Lutheran, I mean Martin Luther, emphasis on dying a good death, and the Puritans picked that up, the language of dying a good death, and and Edward certainly did that. Of course, you know, the, the story of him, as he lay there gasping for breath, um, you know, he, he ceases to breathe, and they think that he's died, and they begin to mourn, and then he sort of rallies and comes back and says... Um, now where is that Jesus of Nazareth, my good and faithful friend? And then he closes his eyes, and they begin to mourn, and he rallies again and opens his eyes and says, trust in God, and you need not, you need not fear. Hmm. Uh, and then he, you know, he, he dies, of course, and during all that, he speaks also of his love for his wife, et cetera. But just that idea of dying a good death, hmm. looking for that uh, true and faithful friend, Jesus, and being able to say on his deathbed, trust in God, and you need not fear. He was taking to heart you know, his own sermon from 18 years earlier here.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a great way for us to end this time. We want to encourage you to find a copy of the sermon either in the Hendrickson two-volume edition. Is that right? It's in the works, the two-volume Correct.
2: works. Hendrickson and Banner, it's the old Hickman edition, but both have reprinted it. I think Banner, Banner, it was out of print for a while, and Hendrickson came in and, and did it with a little little bit cleaner typeset, but now the Banner edition is uh, reprinted again Okay. The last couple years.
1: Yeah, so get a hold of co- a copy of this, or you can find it online at um, BibleBB.com. Um, they have a lot of Edwards sermons up there um, that have been posted online. Uh, you can find Dave online at TeachingLikeRain.wordpress.com. That's teaching like rain. .wordpress.com where he blogs. You can also find some of his audio sermons at Christ Presbyterian Church's website in Nashville, Tennessee. Also, you can find Jeff on uh, various Reform Forum blogs and podcasts and all kinds of other mediums that we use there at ReformForum.org or at FeedingOnChrist.com and you can listen to some of his sermons um, over there at Calvary slash... I'm sorry
0: calvary-amwell.org,
1: right? Correct. And uh, thank you again for tuning in to East of Eden, the biblical and systematic theology of Jonathan Edwards. We hope that you'll tune in again.